Wisconsin. And by the way, Waukesha, Wisconsin is famous for what? I'm asking you a uh, rhetorical question. Waukesha, Wisconsin is not famous for beer. No, it is not. Waukesha, Wisconsin is famous for, no, not angry Jack Fryer. No, no. In fact, it's infamous for him. What it is famous for Abe Burroughs wrote a beautiful song about Waukesha, Wisconsin. Oh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, how we love you. You have a beautiful natural bridge, natural bridge, Waukesha, Wisconsin. They're famous for their natural bridge, which is much nicer than the unnatural bridges that New York has. And the... Oh, there's a lot of unnatural things in New York. I don't want to main, name any names, but oh, Daddy, oh, would you please add that? No, the little ten-incher there, just bring it in there, sneak it in there. Reset that in there, will you please? Send it up there. How come I'm getting such a hum here? I'll check all my equipments here. All right, okay, okay. What happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin? All right, gang, stay tuned for America's newest sport. Happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and uh, perhaps this might be... Well, I'll just throw it out there for what it's good. Charges against an 18-year-old driver arrested by police in Waukesha for repeatedly veering over the center line were dismissed. And i got to say, this must have been an awful groovy judge. Were dismissed here in Waukesha yesterday. The judge said the erratic drive standable under the circumstances. The boy had a nude 16-year-old girl as a passenger. 
according to the fuzz, who stopped the car in Waukesha Wednesday, uh, says uh, he explained that, that she surprised him in his car when he finished work as a grocery clerk early that morning. He said he was taking her home. Would you please, uh, a little more of that? No, that's, that's the same one. Let's just bring it out there, Vic. Oh, Waukesha, you swing. You swing all over the center line. Yeah. Oh, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Here's a question from Newsday by Karen Tyler. She does this column. It says, why is Philadelphia the city of brotherly love? That's a question from KK of North Merrick. And the answer, well, of course, I have often asked that question myself. I mean, I'm sure that Richie Allen has asked that question himself many times. Oh, listen, they got boo birds in... In uh, Philadelphia, I'm serious. I, I wonder, you know, you could hire out one of them boo birds on a Saturday afternoon to stand on the front of your boat to uh, perform every known function of uh, steam whistles, bells, the whole bit. Did I tell you about the, mo the most favorite boo bird that I know of? This guy went to uh, he went to the Philadelphia ballpark there, and uh, you know he's really bugged. Yeah, well, Philadelphia fans are always mad, 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 mad. And they fire managers there, oh, every 15, 20 minutes. They just come in and out. Sometimes managers don't last an inning. I mean, I've known of managers in Philadelphia that last maybe a third of an inning. You know, like relief pitchers, they come in and get blasted out of the box. They'll be called up from a place like a Pitcairn, Pennsylvania, from the Iron and Coal League. And, uh, you know, with the, they've just won the championship of that fantastically fast league. And uh, they'll show up in the ballpark, and Richie Allen takes one look at him, just says, bah! with a thumb down, see. He walks into the park, and half of the managers don't have time to put a suit on. See, they walk in there, and they'll give him a hat, says Philadelphia, see. And he walks out, and this is, and now we want to walk to this, our new manager, Big Butch Watanabe. And Big Butch Watanabe walks out, and immediately the boo birds start. They, they instantly, they, 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 they're furious at the sight of a managerial number on the back of a guy. And the minute he's, he's not a manager, boo, boo, you bum! Send that poop back, poo! Who phony poo? That's a typical uh, a greeting that a manager gets in Philadelphia. Now, if you have the temerity to hit over 300 in Philadelphia, you are D E D. D E D D. D E D. D E D. D E D. -E -D. Hey, that's nice. A lot of D E D D D D. A lot of D E D D. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, you know why they actually call it the Philadelphia calls itself the city of brotherly love? Quote, the word Philadelphia itself means brotherly love, from the Greek. The city was laid out in 1682, and it's been laying out there ever since. As far as I know about it, you know, it's been laid out. You know, that's what they use in, in uh, funeral parlors. The city was laid out in 1682. And, uh, <laughs> it's very apropos there. And was given a name considered appropriate for the capital of the province founded as a, quote, holy experiment, I wonder if it worked out, by William Penn, who in 1667 had been converted to the belief of the Society of Friends, then a persecuted sect in England. Penn wanted to establish a new colony to show that men could live together in peace and freedom regardless of their beliefs. Poor old Penn. Well, that idle dream has continued to harass mankind. 
I wish I was one of these deep, rich, uh, uh, sort of uh, oleaginous voiced announcers. Have you ever, if, when you listen to some of these announcers, you have a feeling that they come in tubes, you know, and they take them to the studio and they just squeeze it out rich, deep down, delicious. Kambala. Deep, rich, rewarding flavor. <laughs> oh, they always do. Then there's another announcer, the, the one that really bugs me. He's the one that always goes, uh, he's got this little high voice. He comes on all the time. Now, for those of you who really want, why, you, you heard that one? Oh, my. Oh, my, he, my. Yeah. This is W.O.R. in New York. He comes out. You've heard that guy? He is on every third spot, and then on every second spot is this guy that comes on, deep, rich, delicious. He's the one that says, uh, Johnson and Johnson removes the dirt. <laughs> dirt. No matter how dirt, Johnson and Johnson. Bum, bum, bum. Quack, quack. Well, I guess you, you got to work it out as best you can quack, quack. I'm just practicing quack, quack. Oh, by the way, I got a great letter here today, which I must repeat to you. It's on Friday night. <clears throat> so Friday night, we figure everybody's got something important on. So uh, Friday night, uh, I got a letter from a guy. Actually, it was from uh, He says, Shep, he says, what is this? Did you know that Shepard appeared on uh, the WCBS TV news at 6 p.m. Friday, the 26th of September, 1969? Of course, that was a big day there, I guess. It says, you... We're telling us the truth when you told us about your seats at that historic Met game. For in part five of the WS series, look who's number one. Who do you think was shown in full frame but old Shep in full color? Right in that first row box. And there you were, hands cupped over your mouth, yelling something at someone out on the field. <laughs> it says the camera zoomed right in on your face. And then the guy goes on to ask, he says, Shepard, what kind of a fan are you? You were not even waving at the camera. What kind of a Met fan cuckoo are you? You did not even have a sign saying, Goodbye, Leo. What kind of a... <laughs> oh, that's fame, friends. Target the hit boy tonight. I'll tell you, I'm moving like a shadow in the darkness there. Hey, I'd like to salute this lady in uh, Springs, South Africa. Uh, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, we talk about people that are dedicated. You know, everybody's got to be dedicated to something. They always say, uh, at least that's what they say. I don't know what, you know, why, but uh, they say you got to be dedicated. So uh, I'd like to salute a lady. Uh, hey, listen, if you ever get hung on some kind of a nutty type food that you can really explain to other people. Listen, I know people, in fact, right here in this city, did you know that there is a growing organization? P-B-A. You know what that is? No, it is not that one. It's not nothing to do with the fuzz. The P-B-A. Peanut 
Butter Anonymous. And listen, if you've ever had the peanut butter monkey on your back, you know what it's like to be hooked on marijuana, cocaine, uh, fetamins, uh, you just name it, man. There is nothing worse. I know people who are forcibly restrained by their family from going into the peanut butter section in the A&P, Gristides, and uh, even the... Uh, <laughs> the Great Eastern. In fact, I saw a terrible sight one time. Uh, I, you know, you see great sights in in, uh, in the supermarkets if you know where to look for them. And uh, I was a kid one time working in a supermarket. You know, when you work in a supermarket, you see an entirely different side of the supermarket world. For example, I, one of my favorite jobs in the supermarket was stamping the uh, prices on cans of stuff. You know, you have this little stamper. And you have a, a one of these ink pads with purple ink on it, see? And uh, I, I developed this, this very subtle wrist action so that when I stamp stuff, I... You know, I'm going on with the pork and beans, see? Each shot, I would just turn my wrist ever so slightly to make the... <laughs> to make the price almost legible. Almost, right on the edge. You could almost read it if you looked at it. And uh, oh, we used to drive. So because the kids that work in the, you know, the the, the the you know the background type kids, the ones you see come from the back carrying all the stuff on their back and yelling on it, a lot of a lot of arguments and stuff in the back. You always hear guys, come on, let's go, move it, Heine. Right, you hear that all the time. Well, he's hollering at a kid in the back. You never hear anybody say that to the guys that are working the cash register, right? And they're the ones that really drag it, man. Why? Because they're counting the bucks. B-E-U-X. And listen, the manager doesn't get mad if, it, if, you, if you know. He loves to hear the sound of that cash register going. But it's Heine in the back there, see, who is not bringing out the Campbell's pork and beans quick enough, who gets constantly bitten on the you-know-what by the boss, right? So there's a continual battle between the kids that work in the back and the ones that work the uh, cash registers up in the front. So one of the ways you get back at those guys is to continually smear that little purple thing that says 49 cents. You smear it, see, it's, it looks like it could be 59, 79, 39, 29, 88. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm and you can, you can always tell, you can always tell who was back there on the stamp as to how it was illegible. So, you know, so one day, you want to hear what happened, one day I'm... Looking out, the, the worst job was to be assigned to the Campbell's soup bins. They go, I want to tell you, unbelievable. That, I mean, you just, while you're putting the stuff in, they're pulling it out. You know, they're just pulling it right out of your hands. Boy, would I love to have stock at a Campbell's soup company, I'll tell you. Oh, gee. And, and uh, I, I, I remember one day, oh, one Saturday night, and uh, we used to be open late Saturday night. We'd be open until like 9.30 and, of course, when the store would close, like at 9.30, they'd keep us and just whip us till oh, maybe 10 or 11 o'clock. We'd have to wash aprons and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, oh, this is bad news. But the groovy part of working in, a, in one of these stores was you'd walk around, you'd find stuff. People would drop stuff all over the place. You have no idea when the frenzy of shopping is on people. And it's very close to sex. It is. Do you know that shopping... Is a very is is very close to sex, and uh, that's why yeah that's why uh, uh, you'll see you'll see all kinds of ads and you see this very sensual model standing there 
And uh, people people get all excited when there's a gigantic sale and they come rushing in, and they they and they're, they're buying stuff that they don't need, of course. I mean, uh, that's there's no question about that. In fact, the real dough in any store is in what they call impulse buying. And so uh, we learned that. You know, I, I learned a lot of stuff, man, working at the supermarket. For example, uh, you know, they get these sardines in. See, they were uh, especially uh, sardines, especially done in Norwegian kerosene, and uh, they would come in. Oh, yeah, bad news. See. They were, we'd get a whole bunch of them. Somebody made a bad buy, see, and they'd be out there for it'd be like uh, 49 cents uh, a can, nothing. They'd sit there for months. And so all of a sudden, the uh, manager would get fuzzy. You've got to clean out them sardines. And he would take a big sign, and he would put two for a dollar special. And the people, would, you'd see their eyeballs popping out, and they're fist fighting each other to get the sardines, the same sardines, you know, that they would have passed by. So the impulse buying. So one day... I'm back there working the Campbell's Soup thing, and oh, what a drag. Uh, between that and the pickles, the pickles are almost as bad because, first of all, they're heavy. And, uh, yeah, you get these big quart jars of pickles, and you're lugging those sons of guns out there. I like to get put on the notions department where you're you know, filling the, the, the shelves with toothpicks and uh, olive stuffers and little stuff like that, anchovies. That's always good. But uh, I always get put on it because I was, you know, kind of beefy, so I get put on these... Uh, these rotten jobs, like uh, lugging out the uh, Heinz's uh, uh, one-gallon jars full of uh, kosher pickles. And all night long, I'm lugging the pickles. And when you get, we had a tremendous Polish clientele. They love pickles. I'll tell you, uh, if you want to trap a, 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 a gentleman from Poland, if you would like to trap a gentleman from Poland, now, you see, there's all kinds of ways to trap people. If you want to trap a guy who's... Uh, a gentleman from Poland, you set your trap with a big dill pickle with garlic in it. And you set that out in front of the house, and you, you know, a big bear trap. And I would say within 20 minutes, bang, you got one. You go out there, and there he is. He's wearing his Polish sport jacket. And uh, you know, the whole thing, see? Uh, the, you know, he's got that little bow tie, you know, that's made out of leatherette and all the whole stuff. See, his hair is cut way up in the back. And you've got one, just like that, Sure. Now, uh, how would you know? Would you, would you like to know how to trap a, a Hungarian? I could trap Hungarian. Would you like to trap Hungarian? Well, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of ways to trap Hungarians. Uh, one of the best ways to trap a Hungarian, in case you're interested in, uh, oh, you don't want to trap Hungarians now, because <laughs> you know what happens if you trap a Hungarian? You get your teeth knocked right down your gut. So you better not trap Hungarians unless you're well armed. Tough old man, tough. Oh, ho. and yell. Whew. Nobody yells louder than a Hungarian when he's, you know. In rage. In fact, I know. Now, uh, would you... <laughs> well, I'm just telling the story. So, but there's there's people, you know, general walking around people uh, that, that you can trap with other ways. See, now, I'm back there one day stamping away, see, and I'm putting in the Campbell's soup, pork and beans. Uh, and you know what's a great seller among the Campbell's soups? And I, I have no connection with Campbell's, so I'm not giving anybody any plug here. So don't, don't uh, One of the great sellers... Probably the biggest seller of Campbell's is their straight, ordinary vegetable soup. But the next big seller is their tomato soup. The third big seller, no, it is not chicken soup. Although, yeah, probably in New York it would be, yes. No, it is not chicken soup. Uh, the biggest seller that they had out there, where I was, is in the Midwest, where it was the, was the no, no, it was the bean and bacon. Fantastic. That used to sell 
boy, I'll tell you that. And, and you'd see these guys around there. And, of course, when a guy gets a bean and bacon sandwich, you ever have a bean sandwich? It did. Oh, of course, you'd try that. Try that sometime. You take, a, you know, beans, right? They're pork and beans. And you put that on, on white bread. No, you put that on white bread with a little touch of, of uh, well, possibly chili sauce or ketchup. And you put that between two slabs of white bread. You have roughly, I would say, 15,922 calories in that. And you start eating that, man, and uh, that's a hooker. But I'll tell you one of the things that really hooked people. I saw them do this one night. One night, I was working away there. It was kind of a sickening scene. I'm working away, stamping away on the pork and beans and putting in the Campbell's soup and stuff. And I see this guy. He didn't see me. I was down low, in the, uh, you know, hunched down, stamping these things that were in a case. I was down low, and there were a lot of cases piled up around me. I look around, and I see a guy creep in to the row that I was in. He was pushing a kite, obviously looking some kind of, you know, looking very skulky. You, you, people look sneaky. You know when they're looking sneaky. They're looking very sneaky. So I'm down there working away with this stuff. And he is now in the peanut butter section. I see that. In a, in a, in a, in a supermarket, right? He opens a jar of peanut butter right there in the supermarket. He looks around. He takes two fingers and he just goes... He scoops out a great big scoop of peanut butter and his eyeballs are popping. You can see this guy was hooked, see. And then he very carefully put the top back on. He looks around, see. And then he hides it on the back of all the other jars, see. He sticks it back there. Well, I see this little scene. So he goes, pot, pot, out he goes. About two minutes later, a fat lady comes in. Now, what does this fat lady do? This fat lady does exactly the same thing. She reaches in the back, see. She takes this jar, opens it up, sticks the two fingers in. <laughs> down goes the... Uh, by the way, they specialize, these, the, the really fatty types. They love the chunk-style peanut butter because it fights back. See, you like to have it fight back. So a big thing full of chunk-style peanut butter. So I begin to watch this. It never, up to that moment, it never hit me that people sneak into supermarkets to scoff. They don't buy stuff. They just walk around and eat stuff. Well, then I begin to notice this. I begin to notice, have you ever gone into the cookie department and somehow you see a box of cookies that are open, you see it, the, some of them spill? Do you think that opened by mistake? Do you think somebody just threw that up there and at the bag ripped? You know, somebody working the store? Forget it. What people do is sneak around and they open these things and they take out a couple of cookies when nobody's looking. And the next thing you know, the next guy comes along, he takes out a couple of cookies. And, you know, they lose eight or nine packages of cookies a day like that. They just keep cleaning it out, putting another one in there. And, of course, they raise the price, and that's the end of it. Now, uh, what else do they take? Well, go in the candy department. You'll find there's more candy scoffing done than you ever believe. And one day, I really got bugged because I got taken in by it. Oh, I got bugged. I bought, a, uh, I, I wanted one of some of these little crackers, you know, cheese-type crackers, you know, these little Ritz-type uh, cheese crackers, little square ones. Well, I bought a box of cheese crackers, opened it up, and some son of a gun had beaten me to my own crackers. It's about a half a box of crackers I bought. The top, it looked great. It was, you know, it was sealed. 
And inside, somebody had just torn the top off, and he'd reached and grabbed about five handfuls of crackers, and forget it's Bill. So, you know, uh, and, and as a kid, I began to see all these little things going on. And, uh, people people uh, eat pickles. Uh, they'll uh, fruit. They'll come in. They'll just grab an apple and walk around. Now, you know what you'll see hippies doing a lot. You see hippies doing this a lot of times down in the village. They'll walk in the back. Because way in the back in the uh, in the store, usually in the back, they have the, the ice boxes where they keep beer or they keep a uh, tab or they keep diet yoo or something so a guy walks back there and he just takes a can of beer and uh, he you know he pretends like he's walking around with a cart and he opens the can of beer and he's standing back and he drinks it you think he's going to pay for it see he just drinks the beer and he goes wandering away in and out of various uh, counters and all of a sudden he puts the can of beer that's it He's had a half a can of beer or maybe a whole can of beer, and then he just quietly disappears around the other side, and he's gone. You ever seen this done? Oh, listen, I don't know why I'm doing this on the air. I mean, just think of the terrible ideas I'm giving everybody. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you hear the sad story about this uh, in New Orleans? Henry Swanson, Jr., 32 years old, has been trying to stop smoking for a year. He has to spend most of his time with three baboons who are as crazy over smoking cigarettes as eating bananas. And he's trying to, you know, he's trying to bust a habit. Mr. Swanson is a caretaker for the animals who are part of a Louisiana State University School of Medicine research on the effects of smoking, on hardening of the arteries. He has been smoking, old Henry, since he was 12. He says, quote, mostly lack of willpower keeps him puffing, but lighting up four packs a day for the big old baboons put a strain on anybody. <laughs> but listen to this groovy one. The heaviest baboon smoker is 007, who got started when, in the interest of science, he was rewarded with a banana every time he took a drag on a cigarette, held at the edge of his cage. Then he started to dig it. He gave up bananas. And <laughs> then the other two baboons started smoking, too, probably to keep up with 007. And now the three are permanent residents of a smoke-filled room at the school. For 007, it is three packs a day. The others smoke two and a half apiece. They sit around and puff these cigarettes, you know. They prefer filters, uh, I understand. And uh, a couple of female types have been raising cane. They want these Virginia Slims, you know. They've been seeing it on TV. And uh, Oh, sure. Well, listen, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Did I ever tell you about Sandy? I never told you the story about Sandy. One of the one of the really most frustrating moments of my life, in fact, that continued week after week, was with an Airedale, big old Airedale named Sandy, a great big son of a gun. You know, Airedales are, are ridiculous dogs anyway. They're, they're, yeah, they're completely no no sense to an Airedale. And the, first of all, they're not cute. And the, yeah, I mean, and and they've got a sort of a dumb personality. See, the Airedale is among the world's dumbest animals. Next to a thoroughbred horse or a turtle stands the Airedale. And they're poorly coordinated. You ever see an Airedale try to run? You ever notice that they keep falling over and that they've got these, uh, that very funny fur? I mean, their fur is like made out of Brillo pads or something, see? So they're, they're very bucked all the time, these Airedales. And they're, they're kind of dumb looking. Their eyeballs sort of wander in two directions and they've got big long feet and all that. And so when I was a kid, I had this paper out. Now, uh, I learned more about life from my, if you don't mind, I'll call it Ralph tonight. 
because they're hearing this clearly in Staten Island. If I call the paper route, then I'd never get a vote. And so, uh, nevertheless, uh, I had this paper route, route, Rudy route, zoot, route. And uh, I used to go around every day, if it was a night and morning, I'd leave at 5.15 in the morning, and I'd throw the papers up on the porch. I'd ride my bike around. And then at night, at uh, 5 o'clock, I'd go out with the evening papers, and I'd throw these papers up on the porch. And this was all, you know, day after day, week after week. It was like on a giant treadmill. And then one day, old George down at the paper place, he was the uh, commissar of papers. George uh, was in charge of this little place. And old big George, one day says, uh, he's going to give me a brand new route. And it's going to be a commercial route. He says, you know, kid, you've been doing great, and we're putting on your commercial route now. He says, you're going right downtown. You're going to deliver the papers right in the, you know, all the commercial places. So this is a big break, see. So the next thing you know, I've learned this new paper route. I was no longer delivering to regular houses. I was delivering you know, papers to places like uh, the Idle Hour Pool Hall. Uh, yeah, that's actually what it was called, the Idle Hour Pool Hall. And it was a bookie joint. And... Uh, I used to go in every day in the bookies, and boy, did they wait for their papers. Anxious, I'll tell you. You never saw more paper readers in that crowd. And uh, we used to carry special papers for them. Very dull. I, I was only about 10 or 12, you know. And I found these very dull because these papers were full of nothing but numbers. And, uh, yeah, I didn't know what they meant, you know, what this was all about. These guys sitting there waiting, and they were always wearing these uh, big hats and sitting around in this place. And they had about 5,000 phones. And it was called a pool hall. And I'd go in there, and I'd give them the paper. And I kid, and they'd give me these great tips. Uh, I'd go in there, oh, yeah, and no, nobody tips like a bookie. And uh, that's right, and for good reason. And I would, I would go into this place, and I'd give them their papers. And I, I made sure, see, they got their paper first, because uh, these guys are Well, <laughs> I started to deliver papers at this place called the Golden Eagle Tavern. And they had a big Golden Eagle, of course, in the window. And it was a sort of a Polish-Hungarian-type tavern. Now, those are very special taverns if you... If you don't know anything about the Polish-Hungarian-type tavern, uh, they have things in them that they do not have at the Four Seasons, uh, places like uh, Twitch Shore. For example, on the bar, they always have this great big jar, and this jar is filled with peppers. And uh, they're all floating around in this juice. And, uh, yeah, they look real good, see, and they, they take off the top once in a while. You see one of these guys ladling some of these peppers out, and you'd smell that fantastic aroma would just drift out and, uh, boy, really make you hungry. It smells. And they also had another jar that was filled with hard-boiled eggs. Somehow these guys would like to uh, eat the hard-boiled eggs and eat the peppers and drink beer at the same time, which they would then follow what they, what they called, you know, in those, in those places, see, they, they, believe it or not, bourbon is a chaser. Uh... <laughs> Uh, it's not a beer chaser. It is a bourbon chaser. So the guy would walk in there, and they'd give him a big schooner, this ripe green beer. This a beer. You know, beer was about maybe eight or nine days old. Uh, the ripe green. They loved this green beer. And they would they would take a plate of peppers. The guy would have about a half dozen of these hard-boiled eggs, and he'd crack them. So you'd see all these guys named, uh, you know, guys sitting around named Stosh and Yannick and names like that, yeah. Anthony. They always have names, <laughs> great names. So here's old Stosh sitting there, see, at the Ellis and Stosh and that the Gaza, you know, they look at our names. So Stosh is sitting there all the time. He has a big handful of uh, of hard-boiled eggs, and he's got them all cracked. At the, he puts salt and pepper on hard-boiled eggs. And here is the progression. This is exactly the way 
if you go into a Polish joint and you want to eat hard-boiled eggs and peppers, you want to you want to look like a native. See, you take one of the peppers, and you better hold it with asbestos gloves, because these peppers, friend, I mean, they will burn a hole through ordinary glass. They had to use special Pyrex. You see, <laughs> boiled. Never saw any peppers like this. So he takes the peppers, see, red-hot pepper, and and they're dripping with this juice, and he tilts his face upward. He looks up like that, see, and he goes. <laughs> Down goes the pepper. The smoke comes out of his ears. Then he takes the hard-boiled egg. He pops the hard-boiled egg. He chomps down on the hard-boiled egg. Then he takes the beer. See, all of this is in the mouth at the same time. He's got the hard-boiled egg. He's got the pepper. Then he goes... He chug-a-lugs the beer, about five big slugs of beer. Now the beer is going down the pipe, see. Then he takes the bourbon, and he just goes... Pow! There you got it. There is the progression. Pepper, hard-boiled egg, beer, and bourbon neat. They don't put ice. Now come on, talk later. They don't put they don't put any any uh, any lemon, no ice, nothing. The, the the bourbon goes down neat. Well then stash, you see, when all of this hits his gut, it all goes down at once. This gigantic load of molten lava. See, it hits down there. And he sits there for a minute, he goes. <laughs> He shudders a little bit. And then, of course, the uh, pepper reacts with the egg. The egg and the pepper combined react with the beer. Then the beer, of course, uh, and the pepper and the egg, all of this mixture reacts with the bourbon all at once, and it forms a gigantic bubble. And then you hear him, he goes, And then he's ready to start all over. Now, the only thing you got to be careful of when this is being done, do not open flames near Stash, because I'm telling you, Stash is liable to just blow up like a, you know, like a big jug of hydrogen or something. Well, every day I would come into this place, and I, they, they, they all knew me. And so the guy that ran the place was named Stonic. So every day I'd come in, old Stonic. I'd walk in, and big old Stonic behind a bar, and uh, he'd look out, and he's got these big bar rags, and he says, Oh, hello, kid. I'd walk in, and he says, Oh, hello, hello, kid. You got a papers? I'd say, yeah. That's a way talk. You got a papers? I'd say, that's right. Boys, that kid got a papers. Come on, you guys. Cut out drinking from one of the kids here. He never wanted me to, you know, they never wanted to drink while a kid was here. So <laughs> he'd be washing away at the bar. And I'm learning about life. See, I didn't realize this at this point. Well, every day when I first started to come in there, this big Airedale would come running around the bar instantly. The minute I would walk in because I was a new face there, see, and I... I was a new uh, new customer, and he come running around, and his old tail is going. He had this little short tail. You know how these Airedales have little tails, and his tail is going like man. He's big. He would come up about, uh, roughly to my rib cage. This baby, oh, big, big, big Airedale, and he would come running out. Old Sandy, see, and he spoke nothing but Hungarian. So you couldn't say down, down, boy, nothing. He wouldn't get it. You couldn't say look, oh, easy, easy, Sandy. Watch it, watch it. Don't knock me over. Watch it. You had to holler at him in Hungarian. And so Stonic would holler at him in Hungarian. And she'd say, Tashik, he'd say, holler, Yoshtet. He'd holler at him, see. And, uh, and, uh, it was the first dog I ever heard that would bark in Hungarian. He did not He did not bark in a woof, woof. He didn't say anything like a waff, waff, waff. He would give some kind of Hungarian bark. And so one day, old Sandy comes running around like that, and he knocks me down, as he always did. Waff, waff, And uh, Stash is up there. Drinking away, Stash from the uh, 
for the uh, melting yards. He's knocking down the beard. He's put away about 19 eggs now, and he's had about the half a quart of uh, these fantastic peppers. He's knocked down about two or three gallons of Canadian Ace beer. And, uh, he's he's uh, put down maybe a, oh, maybe a fifth of uh, this bourbon. They had this lightning. I mean, it was the only bourbon I ever saw. You'd, you'd open the bottle, and you'd see little lightnings coming out of it. Actual, and, and if you turned out the lights when this bourbon was open, you'd see a blue halo just coming out of the top of the bottle. See, it was kind of like St. Elmo's fire. See, this, this stuff was about... Oh, about eight and a half minutes old. And they made it out in the back someplace. They made out of grain alcohol and rotten cabbage and all that. They boil it down and put a little molasses in it. It's called bourbon. So, one day, Sandy comes running out and knocks me flat. This was after about a month of this thing. I've been always going through this business with the with the dog. And Stonic hollers, Sandy, Sandy, how? Hey, come here, come here, kid. Here, give, give him this, come here. Come here, kid. Here, you give, give, uh, give a uh, Sandy there. Give him this. Give him a drink. Does he want a drink? I says he does what? He wants a drink. He wants you to give him a drink. I said he wants a drink. And so with that, Sonic the bartender gives me this shot glass full of bourbon. Well, I hold it out, and you never saw anything like it. No, he didn't lick it with his tongue. He sucked it. it was the only dog I ever saw. Doing... It was gone. And then he went. He hiccuped. Well, his old eyeball spun in opposite directions. He was a real brown, this dog. So every day from that minute when I would come in, I would have to give this nut, this, this Santy, this Hungarian Airedale, I would have to give him a shot of this rot gut. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> One day I came in, and I, wa- I walked into the place, and... Sandy isn't there. Sandy used to come up and, you know, knock you down. See, knock you flat. And he's not there. Everybody's sitting around. they got a kind of funny, long face. And I said, uh, Mr. Stonick, uh, uh, where is uh, Sandy today? Where's that? Got arrested. I said, he got what? Sandy got arrested. Sandy got pinched for walking down the middle of the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon dead drunk. And a cop picked him up for being drunk. I took him away. He got three days. <laughs> now, that sounds like a totally ridiculous story. But they took him away for three days. He came back, and you could see him. He had bloodshot eyes. You know, he'd been on, you know, he was on the cold turkey, you see. They were trying to they were trying to sober him up down there. You know, put him in the tank with all the rest of the drunks. At the, his eyeballs were kind of red and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, he used to walk around. And, of course, in his later years, old Sandy, you know, they tried to taper him off. And he got to putting bottles up in the chandelier, and he'd hide little bottles down by the uh, fire plugs and stuff like that. Sickening sight. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not surprised at baboons smoking cigarettes. I understand there's a whole bunch of baboons sitting around out there smoking pot. And a lot of going downhill, just like the rest of us, you know, eating baby Ruth candy bars, uh, you know. One of them the other day even turned around on another one and hollered, Yuck, my shoulder out, you know. So what are you going to do? Six of one, half a dozen of the other. 